You are now listening to the January 11th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have biblical stewardship, grace upon grace, and refining faith. First, let's begin with biblical stewardship. Hello everyone, it's Brian Winston from Biblical Stewardship. The last time we met, I gave you some homework at the end of our session. Were you able to do it? I hope you did. Last time we read Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 13 at the end. Let's open the Bible and look at it together. While the people were listening to these things, Jesus told them a story. He was near Jerusalem. The people thought that God's kingdom was going to appear right away. Jesus said, A man from an important family went to a country far away. He went there to be made king and then return home. So he sent for ten of his slaves. He gave them each about three months' pay. Put this money to work until I come back, he said. The last time, we learned about these verses and the background of why Jesus added this parable to his word. After Jesus told them why he came to this earth, he added this parable. What is the reason why Jesus came to this earth? Yes, as Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, The reason why he came to this earth was to look for the lost and save them. I asked you to read Luke chapter 19 in its entirety and especially meditate on verses 10 through 25 and think about what Jesus wanted to tell his disciples. Did you find the answer? I believe this is the answer. Jesus was about to carry the cross and die here on earth. He would make atonement for all of humanity. Then he would resurrect from death and return to his Father God. It's because he would receive kingship from God and return here on earth, not as the Lamb of God, but as the Lion of God. He will return to this earth as the king. However, the disciples didn't realize this truth. They thought everything would end and God's kingdom would immediately appear. The Lord wanted to tell the disciples that there would be some time until he would come again and during that time there was work for them to do. Therefore, he told the disciples this parable before he left. While I'm away, I want you to put the silver coin I have entrusted you to work until I come back. What kind of work is it? It's the purpose of why Jesus came, which is to save sinners. Now Jesus will be leaving, and he is telling them to do the master's work with the ten minas he entrusted to them. If Jesus' parable has such a meaning, then he is not only telling this to the disciples of that time, but to all Christians living as Jesus' disciples here on earth until he returns. That includes you and me. If so, we must think about Jesus' parable more in detail. It's because this is what Jesus is telling you, me, in all the Christians. Let's read Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 15 together. Jesus said, A man from an important family went to a country far away. He went there to be made king and then returns home. So he sent for ten of his slaves. He gave them each about three months' pay. Put this money to work until I come back, he said. 
but those he ruled over hated him. They sent some messengers after him. They were sent to say, We don't want this man to be our king. But he was made king and returned home. Then he sent for the slaves he had given the money to. He wanted to find out what they had earned with it. Let's think about what we just read. When did the nobleman give the ten minas? Yes, he gave them when he went to a distant country. What did the servants have to do with the minas? They had to put them to work. Who does the servants' minas belong to? Do they belong to the servants or do they belong to the nobleman? Of course, they belong to the nobleman. When did the servants who received the minas report to the nobleman? It was when the nobleman returned. However, do you think that the nobleman had the right to tell the servants to report to him? Why do you think the nobleman had such a right? Yes, it's because the nobleman wasn't a nobleman, but also the master to the servants. Do you agree with this fact? If you agree, then let's apply what we've read to our lives. We said that this parable from Jesus is for all Christians who serve Christ as their master. Let's think about this. Did Jesus, who is noble, give you meanness? Did he entrust you with the meanness? Do you think that you have not received anything personally from the Lord? Do you think that what you have was gathered by your own hands? Last time, we learned that the Bible says everything is from God. Let's read Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. The earth belongs to the Lord, and so does everything in it. The world belongs to Him, and so does all those who live in it. Yes, the Bible says that everything belongs to God. Everything that I have comes from God. He has allowed and entrusted them to me. If we apply Jesus' parable to our lives, then what should we do with everything that has been entrusted to us? We have to put it to work. We have to do the Lord's work, which is to save sinners. What does the meanness that we have belong to? Who does the meanness that we have belong to? Are they yours or are they God's? Just as the meanness that were entrusted to the servants belong to the nobleman, everything that has been entrusted to us belongs to God. In the parable, just as the servants were called and reported to the nobleman who returned, we will one day be called before the Lord and report to him. Does the Lord have the right to do so? When we read the parable, we already answered that the nobleman had such a right. It's because the nobleman wasn't just a nobleman, but also the servant's master. Our Lord also has such a right. It is because He is our God and also our Master. Now I'll ask you a question. What kind of work are you doing with the possessions that have been entrusted to you? Who are you working for? Are you doing the work of God who entrusted you with your possessions? Are you doing the business of Jesus who came to save sinners? Are you doing his business well? What will happen to those who do his work well and those who don't do his work well? Next time on Biblical Stewardship, we'll take a look at what will happen to them. During the week, I hope you have an opportunity to look into Luke chapter 19 again. I hope you can especially Look into Luke chapter 19, verses 16 through 25, and see what happened to the servants who did the master's work well 
and the servant who didn't do it well. I hope we will realize that everything that has been entrusted to us doesn't belong to us, but to our master. I'll see you again next time on Biblical Stewardship. Goodbye. My Jesus, I love Thee, and I know Thou art mine. For Thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My Next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. 
Today's topic is how prayer works and why it matters. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. How prayer works and why it matters. If I could tell you that we were going to understand how prayer works, would you want to know how prayer works? Yeah, that'd be interesting to know. I don't know that I'm going to be able to do it, but at least we'll try. Uh, This is going to be a fun sermon series. It'll be a hard-hitting sermon series as we delve into this issue of prayer. It's interesting waters that we venture into when we talk about prayer. And here's why. It is a massive topic. I could spend years on this topic. How's that sound? Right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it might be time to find another church. Uh, But it's also a mysterious topic. It really is a mysterious topic. On the one hand, prayer is so simple that a child from their youngest age can pray, right? How many of you were taught to pray as a child, just out of curiosity? And most of us, I bet many of us were taught the the prayer that we all know, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. We won't say the whole thing, but we know that prayer well because we were taught by faithful parents or grandparents or somebody taught us how to pray. And prayer is so amazing that even a child from the very youngest age gets this concept of talking to God. Yet on the other hand, prayer can leave even the most mature believers scratching their heads at times, right? I've been a Christian 32 years, and there are times when I'm praying, and I swear I don't know how it works at all. I don't know why God answers this prayer and doesn't answer this prayer, that he does this and doesn't do that, and he works over here when I'm over here. Anybody with me? Yeah. Yeah, we're all there where it's just like, what in the world? How does this work? So again, it's a massive topic. It's a mysterious topic. But um, after all, listen, we're talking to the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who has eternally existed in three persons from, um, f- from eternity past. So I guess a little bit of mystery is probably inevitable. As a matter of fact, a little bit of mystery is probably beneficial, right? Because if I'm following a God and talking to a God that I fully understand, I'm not sure that that's a God that I want to follow or talk to. How about you? Yeah, so some mystery is probably uh, beneficial. It reminds us that God is God and we are not. And if you ever need to go to sleep at night, just remind yourself, God is God and I am not. Right? It takes all the pressure off. So one of the very first questions that people have when we get into the topic of prayer is this question right here. How does prayer even work? How does it work? We're going to try and tackle this question. Uh, For better or for worse, we're going to try and tackle it. So here's the deal. God has a plan. Do we not all agree? God has a plan. God has a plan for world history. He has a plan for our individual lives. The Bible says that God is working all things out according to the purposes of his will. So here's the question. If God is working all things out according to the purposes of his will, what's the point of prayer? If God is going to do what God is going to do, and there's nothing going to stop that's going to stop God from doing what God is going to do, then why pray? I mean, if God's got a plan and his purposes always come to pass, why pray? So let's just start from the beginning. It is very clear that God has a definite purpose. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. This is what it says in Isaiah 46. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of counsel from the far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I always ask the question, does God know the future? Yes, he knows the future. Of course he knows the future. The bigger question is, how does God know the future? God knows the future because he declares the beginning from the end. Okay, but now we're going to take it even a step further. The Bible is also very clear that God doesn't need anyone's help in carrying out his purposes. Did you know that? Acts 17 says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help to do what he wants to do. He can do it just fine without us. Since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything, everything comes from God. He needs nothing from us. So again, If God is going to do what God is going to do and he doesn't need help from any of us, what's the point of prayer? Why pray? What purpose or purposes does it serve? Well, this is where God in his wisdom shines forth. You see, when you begin to understand, even slightly begin to understand why God has us pray, you become hungry to do it. You become hungry and passionate to pray when you begin to understand how God and why God asks us to pray. Now, here's the important thing is, as we get into this topic of prayer, 
There's going to be a lot of questions that may be unanswered as far as how prayer works and why God answers this prayer and that, not that prayer. What's important isn't necessarily that you know how prayer works, just that you believe that it works. Amen? Do you believe that prayer makes a difference? Yes. And this is what's truly important. So let's get into this. Why then does God ask us to pray? Well, let me give you one key reason today why God asks us to pray. And it is a big reason and it is an awesome reason. And here it is. Prayer is God's way of allowing believers to participate in the eternal. It is God's way of allowing you and I to participate in the eternal. So in technical terms, in theological terms, we would say this. God has ordained the beginning from the end, but also the means to the end. God has ordained the beginning from the end, but also the means to the end. And the means to the end are our prayers. Now, again, you might be sitting here going, wait, I don't, that, how does that work? God has ordained the beginning from the end and the means to the end is our prayers. Listen, again, it doesn't matter that you always know, you can always tie off all the loose ends when it comes to prayer. What's most important is that you believe your prayers make a difference. Listen, the greatest builder on the greatest building project in all of human history has invited you and me to join him in advancing his kingdom. And one of the primary ways that we will do that is through prayer. Listen, without such an offer from God to participate in the eternal, your life and my life would be relegated to laboring for temporal causes and temporal kingdoms that have no lasting value whatsoever. You want to talk about a depressing life? A life spent laboring for a kingdom that won't last. That's sad. Listen, I turn on the news and I see people obsessed with politics all the time and my heart breaks for them because they are obsessing about kingdoms that won't last. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that as Christians, we, you vote. Pray for this kingdom. Pray, pray for the United States. Pray for your country. Pray for your elected officials. Be involved in politics. Absolutely. But remember, there is a kingdom that you are a part of that is even higher than the kingdoms of this world. That is the kingdom of God. Amen? This is the kingdom that you are to be most passionate about. You are Christians first and Americans second, not the other way around. And do not mistake the kingdom of this country with the kingdom of God. They are not one and the same. They are radically different. We now have the opportunity to labor doing eternal things, which will literally echo into eternity. By the way, God thought that granting us this privilege of prayer and partnering with him and advancing his kingdom so significant that he sent his one and only son to die to give us that privilege. Do you want to know how important prayer is to God? He sent his son to die to secure that privilege for you. Now we boldly go before the throne of grace with confidence whenever we want to pray about whatever we want. Listen, prayer is a privilege that God certainly did not take lightly in granting to us, so it shouldn't be a privilege that we take lightly in possessing. We are to guard it. We are to cherish it. This idea that we can go boldly before the throne of God because of our mediator, Jesus Christ, and talk to God face to face is incredible. It is incredible. It is the most wonderful privilege given to you and to me. Partnering in prayer with God and advancing his kingdom is so significant not only that he sent his one and only son to die to secure it, that when his son was on earth and his disciples asked him to pray, how did he tell them to pray? He told them to pray this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how significant this is to God, that you and I should be able to partner with him in advancing his kingdom, in advancing an eternal kingdom. So literally, as a finite, frail, fallible human being, I can honestly and sincerely say God uses my prayers in building his eternal kingdom. I may not always understand how my prayers advance his kingdom. I may not always understand why God answers this prayer and not this prayer, but I believe this. When I pray, God goes to work. God uses my prayers to bring about his purposes in this generation. God uses my prayers to advance his kingdom in this generation. Could God have done it without me? You bet. But he delights in partnering with me. And prayer is one of the key ways in which we partner with God in this generation. Folks, if you did not have that privilege, again, your best bet would be to labor for some kingdom here on earth. But the track record of kingdoms on earth is horrible. The Egyptian empire came and went. The Babylonian empire came and went. The Greek empire came and went. The Roman empire came and went. The Ottoman empire came and went. The British empire came and went. And now guess who's on top of that hill? The United States. We've been there for a little while. How long will we remain there? I do not know. But if I guarantee you, even this kingdom will not last forever because there is only one kingdom that lasts forever and that is the kingdom of God. Amen? If you want to invest in the kingdoms of this world, 
They have a horrible track record. They have an absolutely horrible track record. Jonathan Edwards said this, there is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. Incredible. In other words, prayer is perhaps the single greatest contribution you will ever make to the the advancement of God's kingdom. Prayer is the engine that drives the kingdom. It is. Prayer is the engine that drives the kingdom. And this is significant because, listen, do you want to make an impact for the kingdom today? Many of you woke up this morning and you think, I'm going to go to church, go home, take a nap, eat a little food, watch a little football, and go to bed. It'll be a quiet day. Listen, it doesn't have to be a quiet day. It can be a day in which your life is used to radically impact the kingdom of God. Pray. Pray today. Pray for the kingdom. And you will have impacted the kingdom of God in the most significant way that you possibly could. For those believers who regularly devote themselves to pray for the kingdom of God and the salvation of others and the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel, such people will reap a bountiful harvest. They will be richly rewarded. They are investing in a kingdom that will last. They are storing up treasures in heaven and they will one day be richly rewarded. Listen, folks, you do not need to be a person who is rich, gifted, or well-connected to help radically advance the kingdom. You only need to be somebody who is willing to pray. As Christians, we have the tendency to assume that the real work of the kingdom is being done by high-profile people within the church, like pastors, elders, missionaries, Christian educators. But the fact of the matter is, those who labor in prayer for the kingdom are doing more for the kingdom than we dare dream give them credit for. I guarantee you. Do you want to know who's doing the greatest work at, at, at advancing the kingdom of God, perhaps in this church? It ain't this guy. It's this guy. It's the person that devotes themselves to praying and partnering with God in advancing his kingdom. How ironic that one of the most powerful ways that we can participate with God in the work that he is doing is also one of the simplest, prayer. Listen, folks, do you want to impact the kingdom of God? You do not need to go on a mission trip. You do not need to go to seminary. You do not need to fill a pulpit. You just need to be willing to pray. You need to be willing to get on your knees and beseech God for his kingdom praying for the things of this kingdom. But there's a problem. And here it is. So brace yourselves for what I'm about to say. Remember when I told you I was going to be hard hitting? Here we go. Strap yourselves in because this is the truth and this is going to sting some. Most of the time, my prayers are centered around building my kingdom and not his kingdom. It is not thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is my kingdom come, my will be done. Yes, I care about the kingdom of God. Of course I do. I'm a Christian. But if I'm going to be honest, what truly burdens my heart most of the time is my kingdom. And if it's not my kingdom, it's the state of this country. Listen, folks, the state of this country and the state of your personal affairs come in a distant second to the state of the kingdom of God. This is what you are. You are Christians first and everything else second. Amen? Again, be Pray for this country. Vote in the elections. Do that. And I'm not saying don't be worried about your own personal affairs, but there is one kingdom that rises above all other kingdoms, and that is the kingdom of God. Let me ask you, when you came into here today, what kingdom were you most burdened about when you walked in today? Was it this country? Was it your own personal affairs? Was it some other kingdom of this world that you're burdened by? Or is it the kingdom of God? My prayers more often than not reflect the reality that I am more burdened about my kingdom than the kingdom of God. I pray things like, Lord, make my life more comfortable. Lord, give me more security. Lord, make my path easier. Lord, give me more that I, so I need less. The fact of the matter is, if our personal prayers could be made public for everyone to see and hear, many of us might be truly embarrassed at just how self-focused our prayers can actually be. Again, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with lifting our personal prayer requests to the Lord. God delights when we as his children look to him to meet our needs. The danger becomes, however, when meeting the needs of my little kingdom take precedence over meeting the needs of God's eternal kingdom. And folks, that happens soon and often. That's the danger, is when another kingdom rises up here. And again, that could be my burden for this country. It could be the burden for my own affairs. It could be the burden for my company or whatever it is. My, whatever it might be, there are plenty of kingdoms in this world that are going to be vying for the number one spot in your life. Folks, the kingdom that you should be obsessed about, the kingdom that we are to be called to be obsessed about is the kingdom of God. 
Listen, folks, at the end of world history, only one kingdom will left be, be left standing, and that is the kingdom of God. Invest in the one kingdom that will still be standing when everything is said and done. All other kingdoms will fail, guaranteed. The kingdoms of this world have a horrible track record. You don't want to invest too heavily in them. Invest in the one kingdom that will last forever. Listen, you can either be a person who was radically committed to advancing this eternal kingdom, God's eternal kingdom, or someone who wasted their days consumed with trivial temporal matters. The choice is yours. But listen to what I'm about to say. More often than not, the choice you have made will be made manifestly clear by the prayers you find yourself praying. Did you hear that? Listen to yourself pray. And ask yourself, what kingdom am I praying for? You're praying for a kingdom. I guarantee you, anytime you're praying, you're praying for a kingdom, whether it be your own kingdom, the kingdom, some kingdom. You're, you're praying over and you're beseeching God to work in that particular kingdom. But you see, this is really only indicative of a much deeper problem that exists in the church today. The problem being that we have preached a gospel in which people think that they can become followers of Christ on their own terms. We have preached a gospel in which we say, come to Christ for, for, for the forgiveness of sins. And so people come, but they're coming on their own terms. And oftentimes people's terms are this, my kingdom is still going to be the most important kingdom in my life. Yes, I want forgiveness, but I want to come to Christ on my terms. And my terms are, my life is still going to be all about me. We must get back to a gospel in which people come to Christ on his terms. And in case you have forgotten, his terms are radical. They are radical. They are radical in this way. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. They are radical in this way. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. They are radical in this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, even his own life, let me tell you, the number one kingdom that most people are going to be burdened with outside of the country that they are living in is their own kingdom. Even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And oh, hold yourselves now, brace yourselves, because here we go. Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Folks, Jesus never intended that those who would come after him would remain unchanged in their loyalties. Not at all. Jesus never, ever intended that those who would come after him would re remain unchanged in their loyalties. To be a disciple of Christ is to die to self, to surrender completely. It is to leave your old life behind and to go all in in your pursuit of Christ and his kingdom. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, but love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is God and his kingdom that is to be the, the, the passion of your life and my life. Everything else, every other kingdom, whether it be my kingdom, the kingdom of this country, or some other kingdom, they come in a distant second, a far distant second. Ironically, one of the greatest promises in all the Bible is associated with seeking God's kingdom first, right? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God says, don't be stressed about your little kingdom. Be pursuing mine first. God says that if you keep, seek his kingdom first, he will take care of all the trivial stuff that you and I worry about, like our food and our clothing and all that other stuff. By the way, you want to know one of the most practical ways that you can apply this verse right here in your life today? It's in your prayer life. Seek God's kingdom first in your prayer life. In other words, become kingdom focused in your prayers. Pray for the kingdom of God and the salvation of others, the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel, the health of individual churches all around the country. Pray for things like this. Do not be afraid to make God's kingdom your driving passion. And if you find yourself, listen very carefully, if you find yourself forgetting to pray for your own personal needs, don't stress. You know why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need better than you know what you need. God says, don't worry about what you need. Worry about my kingdom. Advance my kingdom. Seek my kingdom. Make it your passion. I'll take care of your little kingdom. And I'll do it better than you ever could. I know what you need even before you ask. And I know what you need better than even you do. Listen, folks. Take God's word. Take it seriously. God has got your needs covered. 
Seek his kingdom first, and especially in your prayer life. The greatest builder on the greatest building project in all of human history has invited you and me to join him in advancing his kingdom on earth. Whatever you do, do not let this opportunity slip through your hands. Don't let it slip through your hands. Don't be somebody who gets to the end of your life and go, I spent all of my time investing in kingdoms that were not going to last. You have been offered the opportunity of a lifetime to participate in the eternal. And you can do it through prayer. That's the irony, folks. The single greatest way that you can impact the kingdom of God is perhaps the easiest and most convenient. Pray for it. Pray for it. Be passionate in your prayers for it. Pray for the salvation of others. Pray for missions. Pray for churches. Pray for pastors. Pray for elders. There's no end to how you can pray for the kingdom of God. So let's get practical though. Let's get practical. I want to give you a couple of ways that you can pray today for the kingdom of God. Are you ready? These are significant ways that you can pray for the kingdom of heaven starting today. First and foremost, pray fervently that repentance would be boldly and courageously preached in this generation. Why do I say that? Matthew 4, 17 says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, in Jesus' mind, repentance and the kingdom of heaven go hand in hand. Folks, we must not be afraid to call people to turn from their sins, to forsake their false gods, to walk away from the deeds of the flesh and come to the Savior that can grant them eternal life. Listen, folks, no one will enter the kingdom of God without a repentant heart. No one. Pray for the church to be bold in this way. 1 Corinthians says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? They will not. You want to know how to pray for the kingdom of heaven? Pray that repentance would be preached with boldness and clarity. Listen, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. No one will enter the kingdom of heaven without a repentant heart. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We can draw large crowds of people if we water down the gospel. We can get many people to raise their hands if we only talk about the forgiveness that is in Christ without the calling to forsake your life, to walk away from your sins. If we, if we ignore repentance, we can get many people to do many different things within the body of Christ. But all we've done is we've drawn large crowds of people who will not enter the kingdom. It's easy to draw large crowds of people who will never enter the kingdom. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus did it all the time. Jesus drew large crowds of people all the time. And when his crowds, when the crowds were at the fullest, it's when Jesus said the hardest things. He told them, deny yourselves, take up your cross, repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was not in love with the success of large crowds or with the idea that somehow he was successful because he had a lot of people following him. He knew what success was. Success was calling people to repent and turn and enter the kingdom of heaven. Ask God today. You want to know how to pray today for the kingdom of heaven? Ask God to raise up a generation of bold Christians, not just pastors, bold Christians who will courageously call upon this generation to repent. And let me tell you, I think we'd all agree. This generation needs to be told to repent. Would you not agree? Amen but who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it if not you? Let me ask you, do you have the courage to call upon this generation to repent? You. What did Paul say? Remember, we just finished a series on spiritual warfare. What was Paul's final prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter six? It was this. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Even the apostle Paul, what did he pray for? He prayed for boldness. Why? Because there is that temptation in, the, in that moment to shrink away from what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about calling people out of this world and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the word Ecclesia means. It means called out ones. You want to know what the problem of the church today is? We are calling people into the church without calling them out of the world. We are calling people into the church and not telling them to come out of the world. We're saying, come into the world with all of your sin, all of your baggage, and consider yourself a Christian. We have not told them to repent. 
to deny themselves, take up their crosses, to enthrone the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't done that. We've told them that if you'll just raise your hand or come to church, you're forgiven, you're good. It's a dangerous gospel at best. Secondly, here's a second way you can pray today. These are all tough ones, so listen to this one. Pray for the eyes to be opened of those who mistakenly think that they will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the number one disease in all the world? I say it all the time in here. It is self-righteousness. What's the second most common disease in all the world? It is a false assurance of salvation. It is a false assurance of salvation. Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know how to pray for the kingdom of heaven? Pray for those who think that they're entering it, but are not. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, folks, untold millions of people are living with a false assurance of their salvation. These people are religious, but not saved. They are active in the church, but dead in their sins. They talk about God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. But here's the scary part. These people are often our friends and family members. That's right. Many of the people we love the most fall into this category. You want to know how to pray for the kingdom of God? Pray for those in your own family who think they're saved, but they're not. And by the way, you want to know one of the most significant ways you can pray for those in your family? Pray that God would bring someone into their life that they will listen to because they won't listen to you. Will they? Why won't they listen to you? Because a prophet's not a prophet in their own hometown. So you pray for your family members and say, God, if they won't listen to me, bring someone into their life. There's Christians everywhere. God, bring someone into their life who will boldly call them to repent and to turn to the Savior, calling them boldly to come out of this world and into relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, you want to know how to pray for the kingdom? Start praying that way. It's going to take bold Christians who will challenge people the way Paul did in the first century. You know how Paul challenged the early church. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that, Christ, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. One last way to pray for the kingdom, and it is this, folks. Pray for Christians. Pray for the church. Not just pastors, not just elders, but for Christians to comprehend the surpassing value of going all in for the sake of the kingdom of God. Why do I say that? Because the scriptures say that. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Ask God to give every believer you know a burning fire for the kingdom of God. Folks, you want to know how to change this country? You're going to change this country by God, by asking God to fire up his church. A church on fire will transform this country faster than any other way. I guarantee it. Better than a vote is when you pray for this church. When you pray for the church in the United States, pray for God to give every believer, you know, a willingness to sacrifice for the kingdom of God at all costs to go all in, ask God to take believers eyes off the trivial temporal things of this world so that the church might be filled with people fully sold out and all in for the kingdom of God, the one kingdom that will last when all is said and done. Ask God to remove the stranglehold of an easy, sheltered, secure, luxurious life that has gripped millions upon millions of Christians, not only in this country, but around the world. Pray that the believers in this generation would hold loosely the things of this world and store up richly treasures in heaven. Before the sun goes down today, you can impact the kingdom of God in a way that is so significant and so incredible that if you could see the benefits of it in real time, if you could see beyond the spiritual, if you could see beyond the physical into the spiritual and see what your prayers are doing and how they're affecting change, you would be on your knees the minute the service ends praying for the kingdom of God until the sun goes down. So if I may be so bold to finish with a question this morning, and the question is simply this. Do your prayers reflect a passionate priority for the kingdom of God? When you came in today, what kingdom burdened your heart the most? Amen? Will you pray with me? Are you guys okay? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. God, this life is so short. And God, there's kingdoms abound in this world, God, and they're all vying for our attention. But God, there is one kingdom above all others, your kingdom that is eternal. And God, you have invited us to participate in that kingdom. God, not only through our physical efforts, but God, when we pray, 
Perhaps the single greatest way that we will impact the kingdom of God is the easiest and most convenient, and that is to pray. So God, make us people who are passionate about your kingdom in our prayers. May we seek your kingdom first in our prayer life, praying for your church, praying for the purity of the church, the holiness of the church, the boldness of the church, the refinement of the church. God, we pray that you would raise up workers to go into the harvest field. God, we pray that for the salvation of souls, In the quietness of your heart right now, just spend a moment in private prayer. If you've spent all of your time praying for your own kingdom, lift up the kingdom of heaven. Pray, pray that God's kingdom come, his will be done. Ministries is now starting a new Japanese program and is able to spread the gospel in Japanese. If you know anyone that is fluent in Japanese, please let them know of this program. We hope that they will be able to hear the gospel of Jesus through our CDs. If you are interested, please contact us at our office. Our office number is 602-866-8999. And our email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Thank you. Coming up next is Refining Faith.
Hello, listeners of Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries. This is Sharon Lee from Refining Faith. When we hear the word refining, most of us think of a difficult and painful process. To be honest, most of us would rather want to avoid refining if we could. However, when we read the Bible, there are more words of encouragement that tells us to be glad and joyful during refining faith instead of being in distress or fear. Should we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. The Bible, which is the Word of God, says, Do not think of testing which refines us as some strange thing happening. Instead, it tells us to rejoice. Why is our honest feeling and the word in the Bible different? The Bible tells us to rejoice, but we are in fear. It might be because we don't really know what refining faith is and what the purpose and the result of that is. Also, it's because we have a different thought than the Bible. Today in Refining Faith, we will first learn about what refining is. This is Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. I have tested you in the furnace of suffering. I have tried to make you pure, but I did not use as much heat as it takes to make silver pure. It says that God was refining Israel. The word refine means to melt or smelt metal. Last time we learned that the original meaning of the word is to melt the impurities in metal to make a pure silver and gold. What is God trying to melt within us through the blazing furnace of a hardship? What is He trying to burn? Have you ever thought about what God wants to burn and get rid of? Isn't it enough to receive the great gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ? If God saved us, why is He trying to refine us? Let's think about the meaning of a refine again. Smelt is the process of melting ore in the blessed furnace to take out the metal from iron, copper, and lead. Refining is the work of removing the impurities of metal in fire to make a pure silver and gold. Therefore, smelting and refining is the work of a refiner, taking out the metal he wants from a blast furnace. This is the point. It's the work of the refiner to take out what he wants. In other words, refining is the process of God, who is the refiner, making us who are the metal into what he wants. In the age we live in, people say and teach that the acknowledging individual rights and happiness is the greatest value. Therefore, it assures that an individual can do whatever one desires as long as it doesn't cause visible harm to others even though it may not agree with one's value. It means we do what someone else wants because of love. To people who have such values, it may be difficult for them to accept the word in the Bible that says God is refining us to make us into what He wants. However, Unlike the world, the Bible says children of God needs refining. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with the sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The Hebrew word for discipline means train, educate, learn, and teach a child. We often think of discipline as giving punishment, but we don't think about the purpose of giving punishment. However, when God punishes, there is definite purpose. The purpose is to lead us to the right path. Those of you who have children have experienced this. Even though your beloved child may have tears, you had to teach or correct a habit or manner. Why did you have to punish a child to tears? 
Ironically, it's because you love the child. You know that your child shouldn't grow up in such a way, so you punish to lead the child in the right path. That is the parent's duty. In such a way, if a parent wants a child to grow up the right way, then how about God? Psalm chapter 94 verse 12 says, Blessed is the person who the Lord corrects by his law. Because God loves us, he disciplines and trains us. God wants his children to live as devout and holy Christians in this world. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Verse 11 says this, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In the beginning we said that our perspective towards refining is different from a biblical perspective. Because of the different perspective, we fear refining even though we should be glad and joyful. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says, Refining yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We only think that God's refining will distress us if we have a longing to have the peaceful fruit of righteousness, if we have the desire to be children resembling Christ, and if we have the hope towards the holiness, then, as the Bible says, we will accept God's refining with joy and gladness. The new year is here. Many people register in fitness centers with the dreams of having healthy bodies. People who want healthy bodies do not fear but enjoy walking and running. It is because they know they are getting healthy through this. If we are saved as God's children, then we will accept the process of being molded into God's children with joy rather than fear. I will see you next from Refining Faith. Goodbye.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.